1: Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. South Give me a woo. Roller coaster! What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
2: Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it's-
3: Hi and welcome to Everywhere, I'm your host Daniel Scheffler. Today's travel commandment, thou shalt just go with it. As a travel writer, my belief is don't say no to any trip and don't go only once. Even when it comes to the open seas with thousands of people tagging along. To cruise or not to cruise, that's what I like to say. I do think there's a rather robust cruise cliché here, and I know my grandmother would say the marketers have started to circle her. She resisted. But hey, if I want to be an open-minded traveler and travel writer worth my salt, I cannot scoff. Even the late David Foster Wallace went on a Caribbean cruise, and he did end up writing his finest essay, a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again. Everyone's experience is different, so I did what any sane person would do and spent some trusty hours researching the different cruise lines. Some of them are themed like Star Wars, perfect for Holly, or perhaps focused on a more niche audience, like gay men who love to play Scrabble, or women who love to knit, I wasn't exactly sure how any of these activities were enhanced by being out at sea, but I was absolutely willing to find out. I felt as a first-timer, the smaller the monolith of this boat, the better for me. A shopping mall of 4,000 people floating the ocean seemed a stretch for a maiden voyager like me. On the cruise websites, everyone looked utterly thrilled. They had those giant big smiles I've never had. Plus, they seemed like everyone had their own individual seafood tower. Don't get me started on the many, many relaxed spa faces. So I reached out to some veterans who cruise once a season to get a little bit of advice. Their advice to me is, get to a cruise early. You don't want to risk missing the boat. Such deep insight. How useful. Cruise ships like aeroplanes and I guess cars and trains come with a very strict set of rules. From the, don't lean over your balcony to get a better selfie because nobody, and I mean nobody, will even notice you down in the water, to the, please don't wear those jeans to dinner. Actually, it's more like, I hope you packed a jacket or even a penguin tuxedo. And yes, check, check, I always travel with those. No fuss if you didn't bring pants or the required attire because there's a handy tailor on board who can start working those hemlines for you right away. Personally, I felt I looked better in jeans than in the palazzo pants that was now being fitted for me. But apparently, I'm not making the rules. Of course, since pants take a few hours, the jean-wearing meals you now have to enjoy in your own cabin or at the pool seated on a deck lounger. I personally think it's odd to have Osobuco poolside or a burrito with some pico de gallo. And as my friend Sue and I were horrified to witness in Florida, even hot tubs are perfect for eating Mexican food. Especially when you can just wash your hands in the water, no problem, nothing to see here. What I haven't told you is that I jumped onto a press trip. Sometimes they call this a fam meaning a trip to make you and other travel writers familiar with place, hotel, city, cruise ship. Oh, the joys. So part of being on a group trip, as I'm sure many of you've done with coworkers, family members, and hopefully friends, is that you cannot do everything by yourself. You're sort of required to join people who you may or may not enjoy for various activities. Oh, look, the itinerary has a group mini-golf session. I can't wait. So during these group trips, there's always one lovely soul who drives everybody insane. And I mean, we all know this person. Maybe it's your very special aunt who treats you like a child. Or maybe your super annoying co-worker who tells all those inappropriate jokes at fancy work dinners. Well, you see, press trips are no different. Meet Deborah. And I've changed her name from Deb in order to protect her identity. Among our little swarm of travel writers, influencers, Deborah was the self-appointed cruise critic. She carried a clipboard to show off this authority. And I'm using air quotes here. She was exactly the picture that has just conjured up in your head. After a few very, very long hours of Deborah interrupting every single person so that she could lament just about how terrible everything is on the cruise, I started to feel that I may have to take one for the team. Day two, the captain came to greet our little posse of eager beaver cruisers. Well, Deborah interrupted him mid-sentence to discuss her issue with a carpet right at elevator B1 on floor 16 near to her room. She was told this carpet would be replaced. This was it for me. I was replacing her. So I want to preface this by saying I'm really not a horrible person. This was much less about me and about an entire room of people having their time ruined by one individual. Luckily, I paid attention during orientation, and due to the size of these cruise ships, if anyone shows signs of sickness, so many thousands, or in our case hundreds, of people can very quickly spread ill. Oh, how perfect. You've read those stories of cruise ships having to offload thousands of passengers vomiting somewhere super unsexy in the Caribbean? Yeah. So, this is the fate I decided Deborah deserved. I did what any generous team player would do. During lunch, I made sure to sit close enough to Deborah, but not too close because I just didn't want to be that close to her. She was just wrestling with yet another shrimp when I said, Deborah, you don't look so well. Are you feeling ill? Please know that I said this loudly enough for a nearby staff member to overhear. Of course, anyone would look sick after all that shrimp, but I had bigger goals in mind. She struggled to respond as her mouth was full. My timing was perfect. Oh no, Deborah, you're looking a little green at the gills, darling. So, okay, I hammed it up a little. But I was in custom beige palazzo pants at this point, and I was merely assimilating. Within moments, a team of hazmat-wearing professionals unplugged Deborah She disappeared so fast, I think we forgot that she was even with us. Don't get me wrong. She lived. She was perfectly fine. I didn't push her overboard. In cruise language, that would have been called an Oscar. Oh, the sweet, sweet irony, Betty Davis would say. Deborah had also cruised many, 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 many times. She told me this herself and she told me she was the formidable expert on cruising. Her words to me were, nobody cruises like I cruise. Well, honey, you're not paying attention. And so they quarantine you to a special part of the ship. And this is where Deborah went, where you can be sick without infecting absolutely everybody else. I don't suppose it's beautiful there, but I'm sure it's very restful. And since Deborah wasn't really sick, I'm sure she spent this time contemplating her life and thinking about how miserable she made everybody else and how she could really cheer up and not be such a Deborah Downer. But probably not. She probably made a voodoo doll of me with her own hair. The sun suddenly came out and cruising didn't seem so bad. I loved it for about the rest of the day after I would gambled, been to the pool a number of times, napped twice, eaten at 17 restaurants, and toured the entire ship again. If I was a drinker, like Holly, I would have had 10 cocktails at this point and I probably would not have cared. But no, I was done. Oh good, we're docking in Guatemala, which means I could hop right off and just go home. Perfect. So at some point I stood with my suitcase in my palazzo pants waving this beast of the sea goodbye and I got into a taxi. I speak a handful of languages. Spanish happens to not be one of them. Spanglish if that counts. My driver was unsure of what I was saying when I was sharing my cruise ship stories with him. But the word airport is pretty universal. So off we went. For about 20 feet. At the harbour border control, I was told I didn't have a stamp. Where did you come from? They kept asking me. I kept saying, the giant cruise ship that just left. You somehow missed that? Yeah, what cruise ship? Well, the cruise ship didn't do the right paperwork and I couldn't show where I'd come from. I kept being like, oh, let's not live in the past. Let's totally look at the future. Blank. I was starting to sense that I had a problem here. But, you know, Guatemala looked nice, it was warm, I could live here, the docks, why not? I didn't need so much. Except that I do. So I had this lovely idea for getting out of the harbour and into the country. I conspired with my driver in Spanglish for the Daniel Smuggle. I do not endorse or recommend this to anyone. But sometimes desperate times call for pulling out the tire from the trunk of a taxi, clambering in and layering luggage, kids' toys and all kinds of flotsam on top of yourself. The border authorities were none the wiser and into Guatemala I went. My taxi driver felt like we were Thelma and Louise at this point and I was still in the trunk, wishing Brad Pitt was going to find me. I'd also like to add that this was the day that the volcano, aptly named Volcán de Fuego, decided let's erupt. I'm not sure if there was a zombie situation happening, but there were definitely burning tires along the freeway as the volcano was busting out some serious smoke clouds. Needless to say, I arrived at the aircraft door as they closed it without me. So here I was stuck in Guatemala until the next flight out, which was conveniently not today. So I did what any reasonable person would do. I found the finest hotel I could possibly get my hands on. I ordered excessive amounts of room service and bubble bathed hard. I was also single at this point, and so I've learned that the easiest way to make some new friends in a new city is to go on the apps. If you're gay, Grinder works perfectly. If you're not, I don't know what you have to do. You have to do something else. Of course, these apps come with all kinds of horror stories. So I always Googled and checked some LinkedIn page to be sure. Because some cute Guatemalan gentleman who works at the National Bank as a manager and enjoys puppies in his free time, well, he seems just fine. I had a penthouse, I had champagne on ice, and I was the freshest meat in town. So I cruised, and then I cruised. Let's take a break to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with more travel from everywhere.
2: Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex Annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex Annuity, and it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At retirement income, you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash
4: ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. This message comes from Viking.
3: The time has come for more of everywhere. Now, where were we? At this point, I'd like to invite my friend Holly to come and talk to us about her cruise. I
5: have actually never been on a cruise. I feel I should preface this with.
3: Exactly my point.
5: Yeah, I will eventually. Uh, Part of it for me is being potentially trapped in a steel tube, effectively, with people I (laughs) don't (laughs) <laughs> like, and because I probably would do, like, a Disney or Star Wars one, there's a whole kid thing to wrangle. I know there are adults-only spaces on those cruise ships. I'm, every, that's what everybody always tells me. We're
3: going. You and I are going on a we'll cruise. We'll Star Wars
5: Day at Sea. Done. That's fine. But you will have to protect me from sticky little people. I'm sure those kids are the best, but I'm telling you, there are kids on those cruises. You
3: have to protect me from Deb.
5: <laughs> I can handle Deb, no problem. But I thought we should talk a little bit about... How cruise lines got to be the way we see them today, because now it's a floating city. Right. But obviously, that was not always the case.
3: It was the Mayflower.
5: (laughs) I'm not going quite that far back. Titanic. But, you know, there was a point where there were a lot of ships going back and forth, for example, across the Atlantic, but they were carrying cargo. And then eventually, it was like 1818 when one of these cargo lines got the idea of like, Maybe we should make things a little nicer for the people that may have to travel on this ship. That was the Black Ball Line. They operated out of New York. I'm
3: sorry, the name was what?
5: It was the Black Ball Line, and I just want you to be a grown-up with me. Can't make this up.
3: (laughs) (laughs) To cruise or not to cruise?
5: They ran a primary route between New York and Liverpool and back and forth. And they they did have an eye towards their passengers, but really they were still a cargo ship. They were transporting things like— livestock and mail. A lot of it was mail on all of these ships. But even though they're often cited as the one that is like, oh, they were the first ones that started thinking about comfort in terms of accommodations. It was not fancy. It was not comfort of the type that would be touted today in an ad for your your cruising experience. It was definitely like,
3: luxury. there's cruising.
5: actually a space for you to lie down now. but. <laughs> Fancy. And it it was a few decades later when this idea of maybe offering premium accommodations began. Some ships actually started to shift their business from "we're carrying cargo" or "we're carrying cargo and we'll make room for some passengers." To what if we only carried people? Genius. Yeah. Uh, a part of me is like, does that make it easier or more difficult than if you were carrying? like a load of cows, and (laughs) I don't know. Cows probably ask for less.
3: You don't know that. But they
5: come with their own complications, right? This also starts that shift where at that point, they're not just giving you a place to lie down at night, but they're starting to think about, hey, we should have some onboard entertainment. Hey, we should maybe make spaces where people could be on deck just for leisure. So that's where that all starts in the mid-1800s. And then there's this great moment we have talked a little bit about before, and it comes up on our history show a lot, this idea of traveling for the benefit of your health, which really started in the 1880s. That was when the British Medical Journal extolled the virtues of sea voyages as a way to improve your health and possibly cure your ills.
3: So, Unless you get the norovirus whilst <laughs> at sea.
5: <laughs> right, again, trapped in a thing with a bunch right. of people. <laughs> right. And this is also the time, though, when this idea of class-based passenger segregation started to happen. Oh, where it you know was how like, I love this. You know, the immigrants went down in steerage and then people, Abbey at sea. people with more money could be in much prettier spaces. So that started to happen at that point as well.
3: Isn't it ironic that now the people in the front of the plane are taking their own food because the food on the plane <laughs> is so terrible? <laughs>
5: Everything is always a circle. Time is a flat circle, Daniel. Isn't the
3: Earth flat too?
5: Don't even get me started. (laughs) It was not. I have to tell you,
3: they have a cruise ship. In fact, the Flat Earth Society's next meeting, which is later this year, is on a cruise ship. Are they going to go to the edge? Yeah. They will fall off the edge. (laughs) The irony of that is that the Earth has to be round in order for you to sail this boat.
5: Uh, yeah, perhaps they'll find the edge, and kudos them. Um, the first ship that was actually just built as a cruise liner, though, didn't happen until 1900, and that was the uh, Princessin Victoria-Louise, which was a German ship. That one first had its maiden voyage starting on June 29th of 1900. It was part of the Hamburg-Victoria line. That ship only lasted six years, though. It was accidentally run <laughs> aground in Jamaica, but it still was really, like— The beginning of this idea of just building ships with, I know you hate the word, this idea of luxury travel and it being about humans being catered to completely. Because even though that kind of activity was already happening, the design of the ship had not been built with that in mind. So it was all retrofitted. Of course, not too long after that was when the Titanic went down. Great, That's its own story, then way bigger than the scope of this. Right. Do you want to know what the next big thing that shifted the cruise line industry was?
3: Do you We're want at me that to point guess? At
5: 1912. So yeah, guess.
3: Since the cruise industry seems to love all things royal, right? Princess Cruises, royal bababa. It's probably something related to the queen. For love and country.
5: I'm going to make the hand signal and go "ish," not really. Love and country, you're to it. It was World War 1. Fair enough, because it kind of stopped the cruise industry for a while because all of those ships got requisitioned to transport troops and it wasn't safe for many people to just be cruising around (laughs) on the sea. And then what really gets interesting, one, is that as part of the reparations that Germany had to make, they had to give the United States and Great Britain a bunch of their cruise liners.
3: Mm, That's only right.
5: Um, (laughs) That actually led in some ways to the real boom that happened in cruising in the 20s and 30s because suddenly the U.S. had cruise liners. And that's really when Americans started getting on this idea of like, oh, cruising is a, a trip. That sounds great. Yes, let's do that.
3: I don't have to go to Florida. I can go on a boat.
5: Right. We can go across the Atlantic Ocean. And won't that be romantic? Uh, no surprise that World War II had a similar effect on on the cruise industry where once again it was like, hey, not so much safe for you guys to be tootling around. <laughs> We actually need these boats and maybe get out of the water if you're not military. So leisure cruising ceased entirely for a while. And then post-World War II, let's get back up on it because there had been this big boom after World War I. The same thing did not quite work after World War II because just as that industry was starting to really get robust again— Airline travel became oh, much duh, more accessible, and it really that. punched a hole in that industry.
3: Right. Um, because it's so much fun to rather go on a plane for three hours opposed to getting there by cruise over three weeks. <laughs> I understand.
5: I mean, different people think fun is different, but particularly it really, really got a lot of interest and a lot of financial backing in the 1960s where the cruise industry was like, we have to fix this. And that is how we got the cruise city. That's where they were like, mm-hmm. we need to make the actual travel just as important and fun and engaging and as much of the vacation as getting them to a place.
3: I think they call that <laughs> upselling. Upselling. Yes. Upselling, yeah. Upselling, selling.
5: Yes. So that's where suddenly cruise <laughs> ships start to have not just... Lovely accommodations and a beautiful dining room and maybe a chef, but now also full casino, full shows every night, also 22,000 water slides for all of the kids to be busy. Like, that is really how the industry got to the point where now they will have people like you come and do a tour of the ship that lasts a day and a half because there's so much stuff. I'm
3: still on my tour. (laughs) So, Holly, at what point did we get the famed cruise director?
5: That kind of started also in the 1960s. And then, of course, that entire aspect of having someone on board that could just give you your itinerary and keep you occupied. It sounds silly, but it really did get popularized because of the love boat.
3: Because oh, then, yeah. people
5: who had never been on a cruise were Should like, we that? wait, there is a person who will arrange your days and nights for you and make sure your fun is optimized at all times. Right. That show really did have a significant impact on the industry and drawing more people to it because it always looked fun. Of course, everybody was having nutty adventure
3: right. I think they were all having sex,
5: well, probably. Isn't I mean that on what the, the love boat it is? was the love boat, not the um Mini abstinence golf boat,
3: boat. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder, like the point of cruising is what?
5: I have friends that have done a number of cruises, and they always joke that their personal cruise mentality is eat until you're sleepy, and then sleep until you're hungry. And for them, it's just like a nice way to check out. They don't worry about, like, the rules of life. They don't don't worry necessarily even about doing the activities on the boat. They just want to hang out together in a way where there's no pressure. That is romantic. And no concern about, like, what are we going to do next? Where do we have to be at next?
3: That's the ultimate love boat. We'll
5: just walk to the restaurant. It's fine. They're ready for us. That's a big appeal for people, right? Everything is right there. You don't have to worry about logistics at all if you don't want to. Unless you're wearing jeans. Unless you're wearing jeans and you have to get your palazzo pants handled. Uh, Even if the boat docks somewhere and at the port, like, they're letting people off to do activities and come back, it's still structured in a way where you don't have to waste a whole lot of brain space. Right.
3: The thing we haven't talked about is gay cruising. Yeah. So I cruised and I cruised. Well, I cruised and then I cruised.
5: Right. I no but you longer didn't cruise, cruise on the cruise.
3: I didn't cruise on the cruise. <laughs> they now have proper gay cruises that's only for cruising. Yeah. But I am interested in the drag queen cruises. Oh, me too. And I think you and I should do a drag queen cruise Happily. for both of our shows.
5: What would be more fabulous and fun, right? And just giggling constantly and delight. Great. So much glitter.
3: So much glitter. That's That's all I need. It's true. How do they clean that ship from all the glitter? (laughs) I think we should get someone on the line to tell us how they do that.
5: They have to go into, like, a NASA-grade clean room and just create a vacuum and all glitter is— (laughs) Anti-gravity.
3: If they can create an anti-gravity, all the glitter will float to the top.
5: Maybe. It gets caught in crevices. But I'm one of those people that's like, I don't understand why people are so obsessed with cleaning glitter. Leave it. It's fabulous and sparkly.
3: Yeah, but I have to go to meetings and then I'm in glitter.
5: Great. People will be like, that Daniel Scheffler is so sparkly. I love it.
3: Usually they say that about my personality, not my glitter.
5: Combo burrito. You could have both.
3: In a hot tub. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. This is insanity. I'm going to pause this right here for a moment for our sponsors to weigh in.
2: Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again, a paycheck for life. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for
4: current rates, for-product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore.
3: You've been somewhere. What say we go everywhere? My next interview is with Captain Inger klein Torhaug, the Faroese cruise captain for Cunard Lines. We're on the MS Queen Elizabeth in San Francisco chatting about whether we should cruise or not cruise. Thank you so much for spending a little time with me. And welcome to my show.
0: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure.
3: There's this new wave of cruise shipping. People are more interested in it in new ways. And they're trying to get young people to get involved in cruise ships. Tell me a little bit about that.
0: Well, I think finally it has come to people that it's a really, really nice way to travel and see a lot of things. So you come onto the ship. You unpack once and you see loads of destinations. You can uh, sum up, uh, basically visit seven countries or eight countries, maybe in, in the time you are on board, if you choose a 2 weeks voyage. No? For young people, I think, with the development of the ships and what the ships have to offer today, it's spreading more and more. And we see younger and younger people coming because they, they see the opportunity in, in traveling to so many countries. And only unpack once.
3: There used to be this thing in cruise ships that they called it. It was
0: for newlyweds and nearly deads. <laughs> I never heard that expression before, but I think I think also that's the concept of it, isn't it? Many people think that that's that's what it is. Yeah.
3: The thing that I really want to talk about is you are the line's only female captain, and I think that you are. In this position and successful, not because you're a woman, but in spite of the fact that you're a woman, and that for me is interesting.
0: So please indulge me. I think it's it's about a choice in life. It, to me, it's not about the gender; it doesn't really matter. It's a choice you choose in life. What what would you like to be? What would you where would you like to go? And the choice is open for everyone. For me, it's about equality and I think that everybody has the same rights and for me, that's what I believe in and I'm, you know, an equalist rather than anything else.
3: Some people want you to identify as a feminist
0: and I think that
3: the fact that you identify as an equalist is so much more important because you inspire people, little girls in particular or someone who identifies as a girl, a young person, can look at you and think, Yes, there's an opportunity in anything I want to do.
0: Look at her. I think we have a duty of care to actually do this. I think we have to, the world is looking at right now and and there's so much division. And equalist is, is more about the equality of the world and I think we need that more than anything else in this world to try all to be equal rather than separating in different groups. You know, I, I totally believe in equality, and I think that it's so important. And the more people who can carry that message, it's is, is important for me. So I'm going to tell you about something funny. So one of the things that is always funny is when the pilots come on board and they come onto the bridge. So if if I'm not standing right next to the door when they come in, they all go straight to the deputy captain, because he's taller than me. So they think, oh, that must be the captain. So it, it's the funny thing about that. I never considered that it's, Oh, there's a woman or there's a female. Maybe she's the captain. They'll go straight to the tallest guy, really. But okay. I've also experienced in, in um, I think it was in Bulgaria, I think in Sofia, uh, one of the countries we went to. And the pilot came on. He was so overwhelmed by the fact that I was, a, uh, there was a female captain that while we as I was maneuvering coming alongside, He came over and he's like, should we take a selfie? And you're like in the middle of... And you're like, could you just wait, pilot, until I'm just put the ship alongside and then we can take her. I don't know what it is, what people is... You know, it's it's very often very overwhelming for people to experience.
3: I want to talk a little bit about the Faroe Islands. Tell me a little story about the Faroe Islands. Paint a little picture so people... I think a lot of people don't have an idea of what it is and what it looks like and how it is. Tell me a little something personal for me.
0: Okay, so I grew up on the Fair Islands, and it's a very small society. So it's 18 islands, and there's only about 55,000 people who live there. It's a very modern uh, society, but it's also, in those days when I grew up, was a very free country to live in. Very open. I I remember my mom always, if we went out, she's like, just come back before it gets dark. So it wasn't really like, where are you going? Or you can't go there and don't go that far away. And we need to see you or any of that. Just be back before it gets dark. And if we sometimes, we lived outside in a small village, about 1,200 people. And if we went into the main city, which is, you know, in those days, maybe an hour to drive. Now it's about half an hour. She would lock the door, but hang the key. And I wondered afterwards, and I, I said to her, "I said, Mama, why did you hang the key?" And she's like, "Oh, just in case somebody comes by, if somebody wanted to come in and visit, so the key was there, so at least they could get into the house." No? So, in that sense, it was a very open, um, maybe clean environment to grow up in. You know, on Google, when you when you went on Google Maps and wanted, if you look for San Francisco. Then it comes up on the map, you can go in and you can zoom in and you can see the street names, all these things, right? So on the Faroe Islands, you just got this land mass and there was nothing there. And um, there's a bunch of young people on the Faroe Islands, so they wrote to Google and said, you know, why can't you put it on? And they were like, oh, well, there's not so many search for it and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we're developing all the time. So they then made a deal with Google that if they could get as many people, to, you know, so and so many to like them, then they would put it on. And they had this crazy idea. So they put all these webcams on the on the sheep. There are, you know, twice or three times as many sheep on the Faroe Islands as there are people. So all these sheep were walking around with these webcams on, so you could actually go on the internet and and actually follow as they walked around. And Google were so impressed by what they did. So now when you go on Google Maps and the right Faroe Islands, you can zoom in on streets and everything. So they put it on. It's amazing. It's cool.
3: What is your favorite journey you've ever done?
0: I think, you know, people are very often ask me, what's your favorite destination? I always say, it's any? Because I think that everywhere we go, it has something particular to offer or is amazing to look at or, you know, we were just on Alaska and then coming back into San Francisco this morning it was absolutely amazing with just the twilight and just coming off and there's the bridge and you're like, yes, that's why we come here as well. This beautiful place, no? And and this is for every place, I think. You just gotta open your eyes and see it.
3: I'm with fellow podcasters, and hosts of their very own show, Parklandia, Bradley and Matt Kerouac. I really wanted to have their dog on, but apparently she's visiting a national park and unable to come on my show today. Hi, Bradley. Hi, Matt. Hello. Hey, Daniel. How are things?
6: Things are going great. We are uh, continuing our travels and really enjoying the road. So just take me through this. You sold your condo
3: and you bought an RV and decided Chicago no more. And you now live in an RV with your dog and you travel to the national parks all over the country. Do I have that right?
7: Yes, you do. Yeah, we bought an RV before selling our loft in Chicago and kind of transitioned slowly into it over a few month period. We've been doing it full-time for about 10 months now, and we've been traveling nonstop ever since, across the country, visiting national parks and tons of places in between.
6: I think about 25 states in the last 10 yeah. months. That's a lawn. That's the yeah. lawn.
7: Have you done every
3: state? We're missing a couple.
6: Yeah. Um, just mm-hmm. the ones that were a little bit out of the way, you know, like Alaska, that was
7: right. a little bit uh-huh. out of the way. Just a little. <laughs> Can um, you take the RV to Alaska? We probably could, honestly. It would take quite a while, but maybe one day.
3: Great, you have time. You have nothing but time.
7: Right, Absolutely. for sure. Absolutely.
3: So I think what's interesting that I would love you to talk to me about a little is about the logistics and all that stuff I don't care about. What I care about is the feeling. Like, How does it feel to just
6: have no home that's on the ground, that's just on wheels? Well... America is our home now. That's the beauty of it. Our weekends instead of spending them at the local pool or the, you know, the local state park, you know, we go to these like grandiose adventures to Yellowstone or Carlsbad in New Mexico or Shenandoah in Virginia or even down to the Everglades where we're kayaking with crocodiles and alligators, the one place in the world that they coexist and to have that as part of your daily or weekly life is truly a blessing, and sometimes we have to pinch ourselves.
7: Yeah, very much. It's definitely a dream come true, and it's taken a lot of time to acclimate to that or or kind of get used to it, because living in Chicago and having this full-time home base, as great as that was, and as much as we love it there and loved our condo, this has been just so rewarding, having these kind of nonstop amazing memories that we've made, and It's been really exciting. It comes with all these other struggles and emotions and whatnot. But we love doing it.
3: But wait, what is that emotion? I think that that's crucial to this part. Like, what is the emotion that you go through? You give up this, this kind of life that we're supposed to. I mean, I think we grew up in a society where it tells you Yes, what you want to do is settle down, buy a house. I think there's a song that I'm about to sing. You don't want me to sing. (laughs) I can
1: do Johnny Cash,
3: but you don't want me to sing anything else. (laughs) So that's the thing, right? Society tells us we need to do this in this one weird way. And then when we fuck with that or we destroy that idea and we construct something else, there must be a kind of creativity that needs to be employed in order to create this world. very few people do.
7: Yeah, totally. Like, that's definitely something we're kind of adjusting to, that whole aspect of getting comfortable with the travel process, as opposed to just, like, the kind of inspirations and memories that we make in the destinations. And the RV has helped with that a lot. Like, I've never really been super enthusiastic about airports or air travel, even though, like, I would do it a ton. And my dad actually flies. He's a pilot for American Airlines. So, like, I flew. Look at that! Yeah, the American love it. (laughs) Tell him to look for me. I
3: know all the pilots at this point. In (laughs) fact, the flight attendants come and say hello to me and ask me how my show (laughs) is, how my dog is, how things with Michael. Next step, the pilots.
7: Totally, yeah. (laughs) But like, kind of in spite of that, I've always been—I didn't hate it, but I guess I was somewhat ambivalent about it. But RV travel has been so different, and it's made the whole travel process and the in between very enriching. And making these unexpected memories along the way has made us love the travel process. And now 10 months in, seeing all that we've done and what we continue to do has turned any kind of challenging emotions into fun, exciting ones, at least for me.
6: No, absolutely. I mean, I grew up in Michigan and the farthest I went until 17 was Ohio, I believe. Um, (laughs) That was the Cedar Point, which is at the northern part of Ohio. So it's like basically still in Michigan. And then I joined the Marines, and I got to go to countries like um, Dubai, Malaysia, Thailand, Singapore, Guam, to more or less day where we got to um, rebuild schoolhouses for the children there that actually had doors on them instead of them being bamboo sides. And that point in my life when I was in the Marines, I got to start experiencing other cultures. And it became this, like, part where— I wanted to just experience and explore all the different parts of the world. And recently, we've been allowed to do this with both of our work, life balance, and our styles of travel. We've been able to take on this challenge of visiting America. And while doing that, it's not exactly going to the national park. That's the most exciting for myself. Now, don't get me wrong, that is a super big highlight, but I mean, just meeting these real people across the country and exploring, exploring their homes even. I mean, just seeing how they live compared to how we lived and not exactly balancing them against each other, but finding those common grounds, even though they might be more conservative or they might be more liberal than I am and finding these beauties in all of it and like kind of dismantling what the media is telling you about just finding those common grounds between people is very fulfilling for myself.
3: That's beautiful. I love that. I mean, that's the power of travel. And I think, I mean, I kind of want to inspire people to set off and reinvent nuclear family, nuclear life. What I wish for people is that they could see travel as something that you could incorporate more into a day-to-day, that it's something that doesn't need to be feared. It's something just to be embraced with love. I mean, you guys have made a home of it and you've made a life of it, but baby steps, baby steps, like inspire people just to step out and incorporate this sort of travel mentality, I think is exciting.
7: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Well, um, I've decided whether you like it or not, I'm coming to meet you on the road. That would be great. Love it. So um, let's figure out schedules and schedules and you can show me a little bit of the RV life because I haven't done that. I'll rent a little RV and I'll come meet you somewhere beautiful.
7: That sounds great. That'd be so much fun. Yeah.
3: So thanks, guys.
7: Yeah, thank you.
3: Thanks for hanging out. Connect with us on Twitter at EverywherePod, Instagram at EverywherePodcast or on the website at EverywherePodcast.com. Of course, I couldn't have done any of this without my executive producers, Christopher Hasiotis, and the loveliest of lovely, Holly Fry. A big thank you to my lead producer and editor, Chandler Mays, and also co-editor and creator of the soundtrack, Tristan McNeil. I am your host, Daniel Scheffler. And as I'd like to say, good boys go to heaven, and bad boys are everywhere.